25 years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Vampire the Requiem. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters. And they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at werewolfthepocalypse-retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Hey everybody, welcome back to 25 Years Vampire the Masquerade Podcast presents Requiem Mythologies. And we are at part two here as we get into... Uh, you know, it's it is a part two. I was I always get iffy about feeling that way. I call them part this, part that, and people are like, "Is it the same extended one?" Folks, surprise! It is. We uh, run over it by sections for more content for you. And in this one, we're going over Sons of the Serpent uh, with a hard stop as we get past the the embrace by fear, which is some pretty profound mm-hmm. concepts, I think. And uh, with us finally, we get Brentron back. Hi, everyone. And of course, DJ. Hello. And if Brantron, you were missed. We, we said that. We filled your place. We hope COVID was quick for you. Um, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're healthy. Get vaccinated. Yeah. It's, uh, so it's, it's good for you. It's for everybody. That's what I'm, what I'm saying. And I'm saying for you, you should definitely be twice. I think you should get vaccinated again as much as you get it. I, I hear there's a booster shot. I figure a booster shot is just the same as like a booster rocket. So uh, everyone else is going to space. I figure I might as well. Hey, when we no visit you on Christmas, we visit you on Christmas. I noticed that Waffle House wasn't obeying them regulations. So uh, avoid that Waffle House special. Look, uh, no, absolutely not. Waffle House has always been and for always will be the safe place for everyone. You go in there, everyone's family. Whether it's like two o'clock at night and you just got done with LARP, or like the bars closed at four a.m. and you need to go eat after. After drinking. <laughs> All right, that's the place you go. Waffle House will never shut down. It is eternal. Fair enough. And with that defensive <laughs> Waffle House, this episode was brought to you by Waffle House. Waffle House. Oh, they man, paid us I nothing wish. for this. All right, so let's... Uh... <laughs> All right, let's get back at this. So, folks, as we were tripping fantastic through it, we were uh, touching on, you know, the cults of Mithras and the variations and the Persian variant that Reckham focused on in the Mythologies book. We roll right right into the Sons of the Serpent. Just to give an intro of this one, yes, this is literally the story of the Garden of Eden. This is where this, this takes place. There is no difference here. They don't hide it. They don't say anything. What they do is attempt to broaden your mind of the ultimate variations that could be gotten from here. Now, if you don't want to hear about that, you're super religious. Love you. Respect you for it. Um cut this in half like we're gonna try to keep this under a half hour before we go to the next part and uh whatnot and we hope you do well otherwise it's all fake anyway (laughs) in terms of us talking about it so we're not really no one's saying worship the goat nothing like that right in fact it's a snake we're talking about so here's what you got you have the garden of eden you have adam who ultimately is always in my opinion labeled in this story as the sheep the original human sheep right adam's a God said don't touch the anything fruit-related, so I'm out here just, you know, petting lions, <laughs> running with the deer, you know, doing that. 
and just simple man living a simple life. And well, my wife comes back and she says, look at this fruit of knowledge. Well, what's knowledge? And well, how do you know that's called fruit? She's like, well, I ate the fruit. Isn't that the one thing he said don't do? He did. But if you eat this, you understand why he said don't do it. And there's a lot of things we could help God do to clean up around here. And he goes, woman? Oh, shit. How did I know to call her a woman? Ah, uh, you ate it too. Oh, no. To be near. And he realizes when he kissed her on greeting, the pieces and juices of the fruit of life got on his lips and he's starting to get it already. And he said, well, hell, I came this far. And he eats the rest of it. And then he grabs her by the crotch and runs for office. But uh, that's the... Uh, that's an alternate version that's not in here. That's that. That's a 25-year special, just FYI. That's the Trump edition. Uh, but, no, seriously, the we know this story because I feel it's beat up. As, as tired as that uh, humorless you may have thought, thought it was funny, but as humorous <laughs> as me rambling through it is, that's how I kind of felt going through it until you get to actual parts here where they're, where they're highlighting points, and that's what I feel they meant to do here. For instance, what if you get into what the serpent wants? Right, we know this point that how how is it that Eve, whose world was perfect, right, everything was great, and Adam, how is Eve isolated, singled out, and ultimately made to be in this situation? And and what type of thing entity is God to pass judgment on her based on the fact that something something was in his garden, Jack? Something he placed in there was able it it, it ultimately did the crime. That never sat well. You won't get that answer in this book either. In fact, they hand wave it. But that's what my brain was screaming. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I, I think they say like, hey, so I'm sure you have these ideas. Like, who's really at fault here? This doesn't really seem fair. This book isn't about that. We're over here. We're over here with the snake. Right. So what's the snake? Uh, you got a couple ideas. I always loved this this idea because I'm going to give you a little... I'm going to rewind, go back in the, what is it, the Wayback Machine. And we're going to go follow little little Brent on when he was in Sunday school, when they were going over Genesis, okay? I didn't know until I was, like, able to drive that Genesis didn't actually talk about the devil or Satan in those terms. It was just called the snake. I'm like, what is this? I've been lied to, right? People, this is assumptions that are made that it's always the the devil that did it. But um, with this with, with this mythology, it says, well, it brings that question back up. What is it? Was it just a snake? Was it a snake, something completely different? Was it Satan? Ooh. Well, it's the common parlance to that Satan. That's how everyone knows it. Right? It's a traditional Judaic view. That's how it was. The Christian idea uh, is, is different too, right? So the Judaic view, it's God's little angels sent to test mankind. And Satan took the form of the, of the snake to do just that. Aha, Eve isn't loyal, sucker. And moves on. Remember, we're hand-waving. Why the hell would God do that? Uh -huh. right? It doesn't make any sense. But then you get to the Christian one, where it says the idea of Satan's the rebel angel. Did it on purpose. Right? He's defying God and stealing man's heart. And that's whatever you want to throw in there on top of it. And that's the point. Either way, though, it serves a function to say that this was done on purpose. It was to plan. I'm going to fill it in where they're not. I'm going to fill it in. That's just how I do it. And the simple fact is... Something was played. Nothing can be placed. You ever heard that philosophical argument that there is no power that could be greater than God, and there is no stone so heavy that God can't move it? Can't move it. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. Right, and you hear it, and people are like, "Isn't that profound?" I'm like, "No, it's called omnipotence." Yeah. Okay, it's not. <laughs> right, it's there is no knowledge God doesn't know. Yeah, that's called omniscience. Of course, it kind of goes with the title of God. We're aware of that. Let's move on. 
this is sort of one of those things. So where we're shocked and we hear these stories and we're like, wow, Eve was tricked by a snake. You need to step back and look at it from what we'll call creator vision. And in creator vision, in order for mankind to develop some serious adaptation and learning skills, we got to take it from a place of comfort and see the wisdom and discomfort. It's another way to see this, that they were teaching survival here. Now that we've made the molds, they have to learn and adapt to continue the populace, right? Mankind has to be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get there unless we don't do it. But then these fools are walking around going, oh, man, there's hardship. This sucks. And here's this story. I really don't think, I'm going to be honest, that Adam and Eve, after Eve gets pregnant, the pain of having a baby and all that nonsense, that it's anything other than, well, life's hard. That's, that's just what happens. This is, they didn't really put much thought into it. Right? It's where the science meets the story. And then centuries later, like they're talking about 12 centuries when they started coming out with the idea that God, it was a Garden of Eden, everything was lasting and whatever. Well, that's because in the 12th century, stuff still sucked. Right? <laughs> Things still weren't good. And they're Why hoping does everything that the- suck? We have to have a reason for everything sucking and this not to be like a piece of cake for everything. That My is. Man. Yeah, I know. I, uh,. I hate that that sounds so childish, but it, it's true. That's uh... Well, you don't want to be in pain, right? There has to be a good place. You have to be striving for something. I feel, there has to be a bit of good. I feel as, as though if we had just substituted Genesis for like Marcus Aurelius, where you're not hurt if you don't accept that you're hurt, this would be a lot fucking easier. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. It would make well, a less entertaining vampire story, though. Well, in here, it helps you look at it from that angle, right? So it, it, it does make sense if, you know, if you if you apply a little, well, it must have been on purpose. Or these are the interpret writings of whoever wrote the story. Fact, fact, fact. What you're to do, though, is when you look at this, is to understand it inside and out. And they give you tidbits in here to do that. And Brentron masterfully just went over those. And uh, to say, well, here's what the serpent was. You get to choose. Mm-hmm. Here's here's a lot of choices. After that's done, though, there's one to look at that you can't overlook. What if it was a rival god? Now, they use a term in here that I'm going to save you the trouble looking up. It's called mono, monolatris is what it is. And what it means is you you guys know what monotheistic is, right? Yeah, believing in one god. Well, I was blown away to know that monolatris was, uh, was another belief as well. And it's one where, sure, you believe in other gods, but your god's the most powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they had yeah. a phrase for it. Uh, you I know how I didn't know they had a phrase for this, but that that concept wasn't new to me because uh, solely because I remember there was one. What is it? One commandment that's like no god above yours again. Back to freaking uh, Sunday yeah. school. I was like, hey, what is this? This means you don't believe in other gods, but that's not what it says. Your god's <laughs> a jealous one. Now you're gonna understand how this rocks religious study. Yeah. Right, theology-wise, this is this is this is Judaism, Islam, uh, Christianity. All the students of the book here, all all of them, they're they're in contention because it's supposed to be there is no god but God. Well, why would you say that? Well, because there were other gods, and so you'd only follow one. But wait a minute, if there were other gods, well, they were wrong and we're right. Well, what makes us right? Because we're the ones alive. Because uh, we fucking won. <laughs> is what right. makes us right. Apparently, that's, <laughs> that's the key difference, and they point that out here. But they're also adding the fact that isn't it interesting? That in that origin story, there do exist some little head nod stories mm-hmm. that the serpent wasn't necessarily an animal. That it could have been, dun dun dun, Sutek, the Egyptian god of evil. The world was not so big that these, these civilizations were separate from each other. And it was an ultra popular religion, like almost like a death cult to some. 
in a, in a hidden niche there. And to make an enemy, this religion had one, right? So it makes all the sense that if the bad guy was another rival that came in, and of course the one God, but no God, but God comes in and lays the smack down, you know, handles that serpent. But that's not for you to know, mortal man. We were wronged. I was wronged by you, mortal woman and man. Did I not make it perfect and you allowed... The serpent is not me. Do you see the difference? Because I am the everlasting sky. I am the ground that trembles and he is but the form of man that came to you on crawling belly and seduced you. And I've always thought that was weird. <laughs> right? How hot of a form is that? Like the snake came in and it's like, I'm a snake. You know, slippery little snake. Eat the apple. Right? Like what, what exactly happened? We won't know. And they joke about that themselves. We don't know what came from A to B. I, I will be honest, though, with you, Bob. If I was, like, out and about on my, like, walk through the park and a snake slithered up and started talking to me saying, hey, take a bite out of this. You won't regret it. I, I'd probably take a bite out of it. If some oh, snake is talking to you, like, ugh. But uh, I don't know. like some white nonsense to me. Yeah, I know. I was that's uh, that's uh, some straight-up Tennessee <laughs> mash happening right there. That's, uh, uh, a Tennessee that's mash is a whole other story. But, that's a uh, Florida man special. Uh, that's what that is. All right, that's the one that makes me regret what I just said. But anyway, I this is one of my favorite favorite stories out of this chapter because this sets up like half a dozen different stories for like Lankea and and uh, freaking uh, Acolyte Heavy Chronicles, right? Like even the um, if you were to take one of these approaches as gospel, rival god is a fertile field for the Lankea even because if you want to run a god killer chronicle, that's a perfect jumping start point for it. It is, but there's we, we have to you know define too. It's a jumping start point, but why? Because I think saying that it's vampires, 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 it's kind of boring mm-hmm. when we're talking about mm-hmm. this stuff because we're looking at the Agreed. origins of evil. So, and this says we're not really talking about vampires, right? We're, we're here. We're still not saying vampire, a hundred percent. Nope. We know what book it's in, but we're talking about the serpent's wiles, and we're talking about that Eve's firstborn son was the progeny of the serpent based on subtle clues that they translate from Genesis 3.13, right? They cite them in here. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. According to the Hebrew word nasha is usually translated as beguiled. But in most contexts, it means to seduce, specifically sexually. And that's taken right out of this book. Now, they use that in context to display hey, look, we're not being insulting. We did our research. We did our homework here and showing what lays the groundwork for the fiction, right? And technically, I, depending who you are, this is all fiction. And But the thing about that, though, is I think this is the best part. Like that line alone, that small caveat is what makes this entire origin story amazing. Uh, call it coincidence or otherwise, I was recently listening to a, a Jordan Peterson um, talk that he was having and he talks about like how I guess how nice guys don't finish last, but to get to the point, he speaks about how Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. But meek as we understand it today was not meek as it was originally written or translated, right? Meek back then was to mean he who carries the sword but does not draw it would inherit the earth. Not the weaklings, not those that aren't gonna turn around or turn the other cheek. It was those who had the opportunity to draw the sword but did not. So knowing that and seeing how it gets translated, imagine us now looking upon like what we do in the Bible going like, okay, I guess that's what it must mean. And here, hidden so far deep in Genesis, we see that the small change of a word could change an entire story down that route. The uh, biblical pronunciation and text um, is that when we get here and we're talking about in this context, 
of uh, the serpent's well. I was revealing to what the serpent could have done and what it did do to Eve, right? That's what I want to focus and keep it on. And it's the fact that when it slithers in and does what it does or walked in, depending if it was a god or if it was your snake, in another word, it represents an evil, mm-hmm. right? And what is an evil but uh, to, to anyone, the evil is something that did something to you that you didn't want to happen, right? That provides calamity or discomfort or something terrible. It's, it's, it's all perspective, right? Now, do I think the, the serpent coming in and testing Eve and her failing a test really happened in that regard? Like, in even that analogy, do you see it as a failing? I don't know how you hope, as a human, that you were made with faults and the ability to choose and all that. And you have wants and desires, like you guys have already said in, in the short time we've been talking about this. In walks in a serpent, no matter what it is. It could have took any form it liked. It was an entity that knew it was going to be able to do what it wanted to do to have happen to have that outcome. That's the point. She didn't know about the tree and what it did. She just knew she was supposed to leave it alone. Do you think she sat there staring at the tree the entire time, hoping she could do something? <laughs> well, in here, they talk about a writing where the answer is yes. Right? When the serpent approaches her, it's when she's staring at the tree. Right? And she's talking about how the tree's lovely. You know, and it brings to her all this, all these feelings and emotions of what could happen. Well, another light. Isn't that what motherhood does? That in a time when a, when, a, when a woman is ready and she's prepared and she wants to have children, she feels a biological impulse that maybe that's what she would like to do? And is that a metaphor for that time and process? And is that the way they translate it? The beauty of motherhood? And then the snake comes walking in. Is the snake only a snake because the snake was better than Adam? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it seems to be a weird sexual metaphor for explaining the emotional connection that could have, would have, should have happened, but highlighting the serpent wiggled its way in to be there before Adam did. Right? Adam could have been off doing what he's supposed to do, his chores. He had to take the lion for a walk. <laughs> you know, he had to swim with the dolphins. He had to rotate the rocks because they were asking him, you know, it gets hard to be baked on one side. Can you turn us over? Adam's over there helping him out because they're cool later on and, you know, no rain lands on him or whatever it is that you would have in the Garden of Eden. You know, he's unaware. But Adam's very dutiful, very predictable. And that's going on. And this is to highlight the fact that women are capricious. It writes this as being that, that you can see that their assumption is that Eve was easily led. Why I'm looking at it this way and throwing it out that way is because this goes back to that meat comment. And even with that being brought in, and I like that it was in that regard now that I think about it, because it highlights the fact you have a Lilith cult that comes from here as well that's mentioned in here and a strong one and in a way you wouldn't expect. Like right here, this is Serpent coming in and being, well, you assume the bad guy. We don't know that it was bad or good. We know that they think it is, but now I want you to put on your Requiem hat, your vampire hat. Of course it so is. If there, so if there is an originating Serpent, is this is this a bad thing to you guys? As an origin story. As an origin story, as a bad thing? Uh, yeah, because right, that would mean it's the progenitor of a, of a curse. This is where all the... Being a vampire is not a good thing. All right, I don't... Uh, I I don't think there's any illusion about that being forced to like feed on people and kill people to survive. Uh, it's well, not, and this is a self-sustaining, self-perpetuating thing that starts with this snake. Hold on, hold on. I think anybody who's ever felt pleasure to the extremes that they describe in feeding would disagree. I think everyone, the romanticism of a vampire is the fact that you're immortal, the power you get for it. The, the alleged eternal beauty, the fears that are removed from you from having it, that apex position, right? 
to, to make that statement, I want to make you have a, have a stronger statement here. If, if you think that isn't enough of a draw to be a vampire, that you call it a curse, other people call that an advantage. Yeah, it's a it's an advantage that I'll be honest, I don't I don't really give a shit about. It's not like uh, you're 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 immortal and like ever beautiful until like you burn out in the sun. It is there's no what vampires have is not immortality. It's like you you hit stop on the stopwatch and something's gonna kill you eventually, right? You can what? try something's gonna kill you eventually. I have yeah. forever, Jack. That's a defeatist attitude. You're yeah, saying sure you you're, do. you're weak <laughs> enough. To, you're telling me you're weak enough that if you're giving immortality, you're gonna get killed. In a yeah, finite I amount guess, of time, because you don't have that vision. A, a strong difference between like feeding on people to sustain what half life I have. Because I'm not you. You you mentioned like the the that innate like uh, that taste to the point of ecstasy. You're ruled by that. Everything else you do is just a distraction in between feedings. Is what it boils down to. Your beast doesn't let it be anything else. Now, to put a number of that because it's a metaphor. You're telling me that you don't feed on things? Of course I do. For continued existence? Yeah, I don't feed on people. Oh, it's it, you I don't, don't know about that. <laughs> you're telling me that you're you're a one dude and and all that you have and all that you've obtained and it's way more than you need that there aren't people who need it more than you who are impoverished that that you're not feeding on them in a way? Uh n- no, I'm not feeding on people. You're definitely taking up a lot of resources. And this isn't just, let's take it off of you. This is the argument that a lot of people have with the rich. Look how freaking uber rich you are. Do you need all that? Well, no. Okay, what if we could get you living very comfortably for what you have and make sure you're taken care of? Never work a day in your life, but let's disperse that wealth so hopefully we can get opportunities, jobs, resources to those people who are dying out here, starving from disease and worse, turning to crime so they could have a normal life just to provide for their families. That's another way of looking at it. You may not be walking out and stabbing, biting people in the throat, and I'm not throwing aspersions and guilt on you either. What I'm saying right, is no, let's pump I'm, the brakes. Yeah, I, I know what you're that. saying. I'm getting that. But like also like that, there's no – the people that are on such a level that they're hoarding vastly more than is needed that could have a sizable impact on people is far – it's it's not us <laughs> either. It's but, far less. They – I, I – thoroughly actually enjoy the comparison between a vampire and, and people on that caliber but that is a uh that's that's on like a, a a scale much higher than most of the people we know are gonna be what i'm doing you is bringing you to the author's level is what i'm doing to the people who thought of this your our own lifestyle the actual attraction to vampire as presented in particular with this origin story is the fact that it relates so closely to everybody Anybody who's everybody can chime in on Genesis mm-hmm. and talk about is Adam or Eve wrong or what happened or what goes on and throw your aspersions at God, serpents, evil, not evil, the whole nine. It's a hot button. That's why it works great for the story. However, you know what's hotter? Vampires. <laughs> but and, <clears throat> you're, you're right. And what I will say to this is the following. It's interesting that he took that aspect of it, right? And where I would say... I agree that it's considered evil by standard of who's reading it right now, right? Of In terms of where it's being framed. And that's what makes it relevant to this, is that it's being written from that Judeo-Christian point of view where they make Adam, you know, that one happy-go-lucky guy who's living up to that standard. And here comes the rebel in the form of the snake in whatever form it takes. And it's progeny, either Lilu, if it's taking the male form, or Lilith, taking female form. And why, from that perspective, it is 
it is the id unbound. It is everything not having to be shackled with the way that God, as it is currently written, has done it. And so reading it in that fashion, and as they're presenting it to us, right, that's how it's written up as an evil and or an antagonist. However, I also do agree that if it's, you know, animal doesn't think if it's evil, if it's just mangling things up to right, a lion that we just spoke about last week regarding the Mithraic culture, it doesn't have to eat, or like sea orcas who play with seals as, <laughs> as fucking footballs, it doesn't care about that. But in terms of how it's framed, that's why it was considered evil. Uh, but you could start it, seeing where it's just why doesn't it bound. To, why doesn't it have to think about that, right? And that's the thing. That's the power of religion. They say it's because the animals were created by God to be that way, living in ignorance. We were once that way until we ate the fruit. We eat the fruit, you think, is the creator and see as him. And that was what, what Satan, the serpent, allegedly did. Was give you that awareness, awareness is another explanation for the free will you do have. To challenge and think of things. Now, introspection is what it seems you were given. Is the ability to look at and analyze why why you do things and why everyone else does things, but that also brings comparison, selfishness, and everything mm-hmm. else. And to and to tie this off, because I was going somewhere with you, Brentron, but it was not to challenge you. It was to say us as a human species, are we're one gigantic vampire. We never have enough. We covet all the time. Yes. If there's something that comes out that's good, we will always take more. And I know that's okay. why you were against it because it was to the personal. I would be too. I put you on the defensive to make you feel that point. Because right there I said, all right, I know you get this if I look at it from a different way. Okay. But when so, we wash our hands like Pontius Pilate of what a vampire is and what they do, it's easy to go, that's a curse. However, if we made you Bezos. He's a fucking vampire, all right? That's, you, you say, if we make you Bezos, that's not going to change my opinion on that bit, all right? I might be Southern. I'm pretty. I'm not going to go that route. This is not that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I love this book because these discussions come. Yeah, it's I, I just want to say I thought about this while while one of you were talking. Vampires that 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 taste like that that ecstasy from taste you said you mentioned earlier. It's to everything about a vampire is to the extreme. They are about extreme indulgence and addiction. They are that ever consuming thing. Like you know uh, what was it, Mister Agent Smith? Uh, compared humanity to a virus always consuming and spreading and all of that. That's vampirism. That's vampires. And yeah, okay, that's also humans. I like to think we're a little bit better than that. We're actually capable of compassion. You know, I, it were, I, Hey, so so it's a vampire, right? You want to say a vampire is not the same as a human, and I'm going to tell you that's why there's humanity, and that's why there's a yes. scale. That's why we talk about the morality of the entity. That's what it is. When we refer to a morality, look at it this way. And the only way you should really look at it, this is how I've always seen it. It's the fact that you have a choice to make, always as a vampire. You always are the one who's being looked at as the blueprint as to what's right and wrong for your kind every time you make a decision. And you should feel that onus because it's forever. If you decide to kill a hobo now when you feed because you don't feel like taking it easy and seducing and going to clubs and bars and developing a routine that could be safe and you could blend into society... You're choosing to exert a raw power because something in you, you're projecting. There's something in you that feels weak, that feels you should dominate, that you should run out and tear something apart. Not because you have to, but because now you have the power to. And there's something in you that's fueled to that impulse. That if you feel something and it's something to be afraid of, it's like the inner beast in you responds in kind to eliminate that. And it's consuming that part of you, that weakness, that fear, once it's gone. Until it takes you over. Because if you're not strong enough to rein it in, to conquer these things, you're going to become that which you resist. 
And that's kind of the dread impulse inside of every human being. That when they become a vampire, that's what it is. And I think, ultimately, yes, is it a curse? Sure. If we want to say it is. But this is not necessarily saying it is. Now, to talk about this, this serpent, there's several things, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to get to them because we've, we've diverted a lot. <laughs> but it boils down to this. <clears throat> Basically, if it's serpent according to Eve, it means she has a child. And that, and that, and that means the serpent came in and, and rang the bell in her tummy before Adam could. And the angel put a little life offspring in there as, 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 a, as a recourse of it. And then they divert. And they say that an angel comes down to say, God says this, this baby's going to be terrible. And here's a bunch of horrible things going to happen if it's born. And in biblical spooky words, it says it's going to have fangs just like dad. It's going to use low cunning just like dad did to do it. But it's going to be as capricious as you, mom. It's going to be as wishy-washy weird as you are, <laughs> highlighting that women are demonized. Again. That if you choose to have it, well, it's going to have you plus this and look how bad it's going to be. And what what strikes me as strange, it's just demonizing, Mm -hmm. right? And to me, for me, it's a weak story. It's saying, once again, we're blaming women as evil, which is such a freaking easy out. Um, And then it's saying that uh, because it's it's been done, not because it's true, but just because it's always done, right? She was not smart enough. No one would be smart enough, by the way, to outwit this thing. If you reverse the story with Adam, it's even easier. It's I, it's the fruit of knowledge. How could she? How how is there an expectation that anyone could outsmart a snake if you don't even? You know what I'm saying. If you don't it. know it's a snake, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like oh, it's a pretty you know, tree. Oh, that's a very scaly rope. <laughs> I I think uh, the reason why, and I to give it objectively, and because we're talking about omniscience, right? When we're everything is allegorical here. The snake stands for something X, Y, and Z, and the female in this case, Eve, having been there, is because she birthed something. She put something into the world. How many times have we heard about like the man being the one that's seduced into the situation to create something from anything, right? And I think in this particular case, that's the that's the only way I could objectively view it, at least from the story as being presented now. Why you why you can't do it that way is because there's a redemptive quality to the way the story's made, right? Any curse that's ever come about on the earth that's bad does not the archangel Michael come up with a way to come out to smite its ass. Or Uriel, angel of the sun, right? There's always something God said to take care of it. Even Enoch goes, this evil child is eating all my, all my son, all my children being ate by it. Can God please give me the strength? I need the sun to be a sword and put it in my arm and I'll go and kill it. I'll go in this cave and I'll stab it in the heart and I'll smoke it. And God said the next morning, behold the sun and here's a flaming blade and it is now yours and you will follow a trail of blood. Because the your kinsman's death in blood will be your road to where it sleeps. And you'll walk in and you'll know it's the right place because it'll be marked by bleached bones. And you'll enter a cave and under the shield of noon, you'll walk in and you'll see the beast. And there the beast will lay and you will walk with the sword and you will take it and stab it with the sun blade and it will die. And you will have done exactly what you begged me to do. And I think it's awesome you begged me because I'm God and I like being begged. I really wish it wasn't written. It, that, that's almost, it's not verbatim, but that's exactly what happens. God's just like, dear Lord, please. And God goes, I'm pleased with you begging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wanted to gone anyway, Enoch. And since you realize that, here you go. Go ahead and take care of it. It's taken care of. It's not weak at all. I think it's great they put it in here. But much like DJ said, this is allegory, but it's also mm-hmm. what me and Brent trying to keep doing. We're debating it from the religious aspects. You need to hit all three because that's why this is entertaining. It is. Because uh, yeah. it should I wasn't lying when I said this is my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. But let's, if you analyze the serpent qualities, though, and that's where we're back to, and I'll try not to deviate. It's so easy because it's such a good thing to talk about. It is. About. It is. Uh, the serpent in and of itself is evil 
in general format. No matter what it is, it's generic evil. It yeah, it's it's temptation. It's 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 Eve's inner impulse that she wasn't aware she had. It's the innocence of evil, right? You never hear that. How is innocence evil? It's simple. Isn't someone innocent because they haven't experienced something yet? Mm-hmm. Right? And they're considered innocent. Well, what if temptation is the first thing they run into, but they've never experienced temptation, therefore they're innocent to it. So temptation is just an experience. You get what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. So at some point we got to define it. Well, is she evil for doing it? Well, you're certainly because everybody judges her ass for eating that apple. And it's like, well, to me, you may have the serpent there kicking rocks, doing its thing. That tree sitting there is evil. Even being accessible, it's its own temptation right there. And all you had to say was, don't eat it or else. Just put up a big <laughs> sign that says, do not eat. You really don't want to. Trust me. Right? It's, it's your nature to do it because we're curious creatures. That's what it is. Most creatures in nature are. Now, to, to, to add the, the spinoff to it or to bring it back to the, to the snake itself, what they're saying is the snake is something dark. It's not even necessarily a snake. It's just the serpent is what they used for the story, but they weren't there. They don't know. It might have been a garden. It might have just been a land where everything was great. And that would have been that. Adam and Eve could have been a tribe. We have no idea. We weren't there. But the point is, is that something comes in of power to change the scale of what goes on. And in that in that vein, the child is really the, the, the vampiric entity. Or I should say the vampiric god. Because in any other way, that's, that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. Because it's birthed as a snake. And it's cursed to, to avoid sunlight because God's pissed. But that doesn't mean it's a vampire. God, that's where the curse comes in, by the way. It's not cursed because of what it is. It's cursed because God cursed it. Yeah, nothing's cursed for just being what it is, right? That's that's inherent to it. It's something we haven't touched on before. If you're cursed, someone put that shit on you, whether you deserved it or not. But what that's saying is, is that when it's born, what does that mean then? Well, the mother wanted to be born, and what mother wouldn't want her child to be born if she's going to the distance, right? And that's it. It's her choice, and there it is. And the child comes out, she wants to defend. It's her baby. It's what she wants. But then it starts doing all this bad stuff. Well, is it doing all this bad stuff because it's in its nature to do bad stuff, or is it doing bad stuff because you had something come along and paint by numbers what it can and can't do before it was even born? And what I'm going to say is, you be the judge of that. It's a hard road. Mm -hmm. Being told I have to live in forever darkness and shadow, and that I'm going to be birthed, and for whatever reason, I'm going to come out with these fangs, but basically you did something to the snake because it came out and did its wiggle worm in mom's belly, and then it disappears like a dead be dead. But where did it go? We don't talk about the fact that God took it out back and shot it and buried it in the air after so you can never find it again because how dare it come in and screw with what's its, what's what's God's, right? It's what it seems like because you never hear of it again. Or, and I'm going to give flip it on the lid, there was a reason the serpent was there. Had to be allowed to be there. And it mm-hmm. kickstarts this. Is the only makes sense. Which means the child being born, great. Angels come down. Bomb fails the test again. And doesn't kill the child in the womb. And she inflicts this, this curse on everybody. Now, if you want to believe that and fall down the chain, they give you two stories of it, right? One is to say that it's a, it's a, it's a female offspring. It's the daughter. And here's where we get this Lilith. Right? Where this is different is that with the Lilith variant, a daughter, for whatever reason, is a lot easier to swallow than her being Adam's wife, right? Second wife. But with it being a daughter of Adam and Eve, what this, this highlights is, okay, the serpent came in, and this isn't Adam's daughter. 
is what it is point blank. And it flees, right? It takes off to go do what it's going to do because mom wouldn't kill it. She couldn't kill it. It came mm-hmm. from her. And then it's out there. It doesn't know a mother's love. It doesn't know a father's love. It's figuring it out. And in that absence of direction, it falls on its instincts. Now, in this in this sort of, a, I don't know if metaphor will say, it's born human. We're just going to state that. And it has a unique potentiality. Mm-hmm. And if this potentiality was with its mother and father, raised right, might not have developed into the dark impulses it was only allowed to have. Because those dark impulses really represent the beast. Right. In this nature that they point out, it has to feed, it has to hunt, it has to defend itself. Mm-hmm. And this is how the beast manifests. And we know this in Requiem or any vampire game because this is what it directs you to, is why these powers were manifest to help in hunting. Well, of course, this is used on a tribe. And naturally, as we know, Enoch's a bad mofo, no matter what genre of book you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he comes <laughs> back to lay at the smackdown. Now... That's it for that. But what do you guys think about the male variant when it's a, when it's a, well, I'm saying that's like, that's like Eve is innocent or excuse me, Lilith is innocent in that. And to me, she's fulfilling her nature of survival and does what she does with her kids. And that explains the offspring of all vampires, but they're only able to kill Lilith. In the other variant, you have a male offspring because I was talking nonstop here. Mm. Uh, what happens to the son when it's, when the child is a son, a male offspring? It, uh, it, the reason I pause is because of the imagery that comes in my head is I think of Alien, right? Uh, <laughs> like after it bursts out of the... And this is true because after it bursts out of the chest, it's a perfect killing machine. It's the perfect biological form as they usually make allegories to, right? It it knows enough to hunt on other things. It hunts on its younger siblings. It tastes its blood. It goes on an... Like until someone could tell it that there's a better apex predator than itself because that's all it knows to be, nothing's stopping it. And this is like where Enoch also comes into play and he's like... Oh, dear God, I can't stop this thing. I don't know why you gave me a boss level thing and I'm only level one. This thing's level 30, but I can't take it down. I need a cheat code. Please help me, Jesus. Oh, well, I'm sorry, God, because Jesus ain't born yet. Um, and this is and I, I think what makes it funny and what makes it cool about this, though, is that God goes like, let me give you the guild army that you need. Right. Because this is where also he introduces the fact that a branch from a tree is the only thing that might be able to stop it. And where does that branch come from? It comes from the same tree. His daddy was hanging around in the first time, and they make that, and then some variations of it, they even tell you the steak doesn't have to be just wood. It could probably be a specific type of wood, and I thought that was a a very interesting way of interpreting why the steak has such impact on vampires. I think it's awesome. If if you're a fan Mm -hmm. of Riffs, they have a a vampire supplement in South America, and Riffs vampires are specifically hurt by water. And certain wood from, like, the Tree of Life they have in that game Mm. can kill a vampire. But that's about it. It's the only way you're killing a vampire. And it made a lot of sense to me that it worked that way. And I was cool with it, with the way, you know, old school World of Darkness did did how they do with vampires. I don't have a problem with it in any variation, really. I play everything vampire, I feel. And when it comes to Requiem, it was like, hmm, I I would think it'd be harder to, to... I mean, it's really cool to read, let me just get to that, that you need a specific type of wood to put a vampire in Torpor. I think that would be awesome. It would be great to have it. You stab him with a piece of wood, and that vampire gets to go, uh, you read too many books. And they keep on going. I think that's awesome. Because it empowers the player to understand that you are powerful, and there's there's the rub. I'm going to drain your humanity dry as a storyteller, knowing you as the player are in a vessel of destruction if you can't control your impulses to see it through. And if you're incredibly resistant to kill and, and everything else and all the powers that you get and only a specific piece of wood can put you down, 
I think you begin to see the trouble here. And that's how it goes. When Enoch puts down this entity, the first vampire, there's some things to note, though. I mean, it's cool that he does, and the rest of the kids get away again, because that's how the rest of vampires are. I want to highlight something, though. It talks about the fact that Enoch jumped fully formed from Eve's womb. Not Enoch, excuse me. Uh, his son, Lilu. Lilu. Her son, Lilu. Lilu, Lilu mm-hmm. and Lilu, too. They're, they're fully formed. They're able to talk cool, running around, do their whole thing. This... This leads to another segue, and it's a tinfoil hat moment, but it's there. If you look up what a Nephilim is, it's along the same lines as what they're almost hinting at here, right? That that's there. They're almost divine. Vampires are almost divine by this, right? And it's another way of looking at it, which makes this really cool. And I love playing with this however you want. And in this section, there's more to hit it, but we're going to go to another part two to make it not just this. Uh, we were trying to squeeze two and one, and how we do that is fast forward. That's how we got to do it. Oh, yeah. Now, Jesus. What I'm going to tell you, yeah, I didn't notice that either until I took a glance, my man. Yeah. Uh, but how to do this is to also look at the uh, aspect that they highlight some things to note specifically. That no matter your religious outlook, it's interesting that Jesus Christ and this child of Eve share a lot of origin similarities, right? And so when you look at it, right, it says an angel announced both births and both displayed extraordinary intelligence and insight as children. Jesus famously debated scripture with the rabbis at the temple as a mere boy. And Lilu showed its father's cunning as it tricked its half-siblings into sin and wickedness. Just what it does, right? A large portion of both lives is never described, which leaves many unanswered questions and interpretation. But both were also killed by men who believed they spoke or, or really were blasphemies, right? For both, They both meet demise at the hands of men who didn't know, Right? That's that they're, they're treated accordingly. And so there's a lot of argument here to say that, okay, no matter what you want to believe, something happened here. And you could make it an origin. It could be literal, or you could pull a lot of story from it, much like we did. Clearly, we've killed like 40 minutes on this because mm-hmm. we could probably do a whole day, to be honest, from just talking religion, purposes of evil. That serpent alone is so fascinating. And to highlight one more thing, to add more how I could drag this out, if you are a fan of serpent cults, corruption, Corruption mainly, and you're looking at this, and I know there are a lot of people ask me about, like, I'll, I'll go over this at a later date in other pods, but I want to put it here because we've talked about so much. You have a cult of Sutek or, or serpent cults and that draw because of this story. This mm-hmm. story gives you that because it's the power to trick something into doing something that you didn't do. You didn't make them do it. You gave the seed to have them do it, right? In other words, the very quote, I give you a little and you taste it. It's not referring to the drug in this. What it's saying is, I give you a little taste of what freedom could be. It's up to you to decide you're going to take freedom for yourself and do for yourself. But when you do that, you also take the consequences. And that's where corruption really, really comes from. It's taking innocence and make it not innocent anymore and watch what happens as an end result. And that's, that's always something to be done. What's not innocent is deciding you're going to play something to its excess, Right. Instead of you seducing someone, instead of instead of being seduced to do it, and not by, you know, seduce like, baby, wouldn't it be great if we did blah, 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 blah? No, you just mention it. I mentioned what it could be. Wouldn't it be cool if you had that power? Man, I know I wish I had it. I don't have the courage. Someday I might do it. And you walk off, and then that person bites the, bites the fruit? Oh, yeah, you corrupted that person. By the <laughs> way, brilliantly. You did a great job of doing it. But if you're there with them, and you're dripping honey in their ear the whole time, and you're like slowly forcing their hand up to take it 
that isn't corruption. That's seduction. There's a difference, right? You're wholly responsible for that seduction. However, corruption is supposed to be wholly on the person doing it, i.e., at any given moment, they have the power to say no, right? And it stops. That's it. And uh, that's the power of it, too. It's the fact they didn't say no, right? It's that realization that it was me the whole time, as they say. Uh, but I diverse. Uh, save me, fellas. And let's talk about the embrace through fear, a very unique take to it. But uh, I'm kind of comfortable and curious what you guys thought about it. I loved this. I um, I will tell you. Uh, yeah, I'll say it now. I hate the idea of vampirism coming from one single source. It never... It never sit well with me, and uh, I think I think the reason why it's the same reason why I hate horror movies that explain <coughs> you know why the monster exists. I, I hate having firm answers in horror; I, they can't stand it. So, embraced by fear. There's a couple other places where this will similar things will pop up, but embraced by fear just hit that that uh, spot for me because what it does is it shows you that um, the the curse that we talked about, vampirism. It's it can spring forth from you, or it's always been inside of you the entire time. To to expand on what embraced by fear even means is that it goes through several examples, like five or six, where five, it, yeah, five. Oh, one for each clan. Oh, right? well, maybe Mia and the the clanless. That is true. That is true. Oh, the clanless. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, each one starts with uh, these people who were obsessed with with something, right? To the point that they were. They were afraid of using it. I think that's a better description than than uh, obsessed with because it goes it's more with like the, afraid of losing it and the reason using it. And there's a reason behind the difference there, right? Um, to to give it more gravitas, embraced by fear is exactly that. It, it doesn't have an originator, doesn't have a progenitor in terms of how the original came to be. What it does mean, though, is because of it. Um, there are the five different situations, and I'll go very, very briefly over them. One is a soldier who just didn't want to die on the field and not be able to explain to his men why he got back up, why he was laid down to the ground. So he got back out, uh, and when he tried to explain things to his men, he just frenzied on them and killed them. And that was the birth of Nosferatu. There was one where a lady but just did not the want the Because we can't leave it at that. Can't leave it at that. Because mm. it's a disservice to the, the people who wrote it. Because that sounds like a, like a piss-poor con- uh, uh, convention excuse of somebody's new Nas character. And that's not what they did here, right? It's not the crap on you, DJ. It's I know you get it because you read it, and so I can go, aha, I remember that story. But there's big yep. parts in there, right? The part is, is that this isn't a normal person, right? What was he afraid of? Failure. This was a man that was afraid to seem as weak by his compatriots, someone that was afraid Fear. that his weaknesses Failure. would be used against mm-hmm. his enemies. That's why he never had family. Everything this man did his entire life was ruled by fear, and yet he was someone that most would call one of the strongest around, and no one would dare call a, a coward. And yet he was still, at the end of the day, he was more fear than man. And that's why when he was struck down on the battlefield, afraid to even call out for help from his compatriots, he got back up, pulled out the metal bits, and then the first thing this man did when he stood back up was kill his compatriots so they couldn't tell anyone what happened to him. So what this is saying is that the petty fears that, that you shouldn't care about when you're alive, right? That you shouldn't let hold you back, uh, let alone when you're dead, have like, God, why, why, why would that dwell on you, right? But that if it does, it sits in your heart and can raise you back to life. And for him, that's everything you guys just said. Why I think that's so impactful, because if you're me, right, 
I believe once upon a time I was called you scrutinizing son of a bitch by Critical a certain bastard. someone. Right, you you critic. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was. It was thank you. That's exactly what it was. And I've adored it ever since because yeah, if you're if you're if you're reviewing something, you should be a bit critical. I am not mm-hmm. the awesome person that wrote this. I am not the badasses who put pen to paper and got this up. I'm the passionate fan who's going through it, sharing it with an audience who are equally fandom. And I don't want you to miss mm. the cool stuff that's in it. The cool stuff here is not the simple, uh, so if I'm afraid enough, I die, I come back. No. Mm-mm. In fact, you're not that no. freaking special if that's your open and ended thing. This is talking about passion. This is passion. Think about being so afraid that you're weak, that you're the strongest walking. You're the baddest of the bad. This highlights to me when I thought about it, this must be Achilles. This is what it takes to be Achilles. What did Achilles think of himself walking around? Gave the most bold and badass statements ever. Was favored by the gods, seen as this arrogant engine of destruction. But what was Achilles worried about most? That's why when you fall, no one will remember your name. He was worried about immortality through glory. And he would never have it. That no one would know it. And that every man should strive to have it. Except they built him also three-dimensional, right? Even he, as great of a hero that is, wasn't what this guy is. Wasn't so diseased by this fear, right? It's one thing to be passionate. Achilles is. But Achilles rounds out with that sense of morality and mortality that links him to the common man as being a cool hero demigod figure. Mm -hmm. However, this is saying this person, this first kindred, is... uh, I, I describe it as the fruit that on the outside looks ripened and amazing... But once you cut into it, the worms fall out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? And when it gets to the end, like you guys said, that's what happens. He rises up. And, of course, they name this guy. Because one of the coolest things when he gets to the end of the story, they talk about what he looks like. Like, his men noticed he was stronger than ever before, right? He was able to tear through things and whatnot. But when they actually truly take a look at him, some run out of pure abject terror. Right? That fear became him, and it's fear made flesh, and he's known as Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Now, if I sat around and we had a clan meeting, and you're you're walking, I'm a neonate, Papa. Where's my neonate? What am I? You know, I call that the neonate baby stories. A lot of people, especially in LARPs, like to play the new kindred. I don't know anything. Let's do that, and they want to experience it. One of the cool things about it is that this type of stuff is an awesome story to teach them what they are. Right? You say it's a curse. And Asfrachi is going to say it's a curse. What I have sucks. If you heard this story, what would you think about the Nosferatu then? And Nosferatu ain't nothing to fuck with. There's a lot in here that you could take that from it, but it could also say, what in me was I afraid to let go? Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It says that if I too am now this, wow, what about me could I not push to the side? What targeted me? What made me come back? And that's an, that's another curse in and of itself, right? Because if you if you like grasp hard enough, you're gonna find something, right? It's like the gangrel. It's like why did I come back as like a feral monster? Like was I was I could I not like control myself? Like even even in life, you know, something to that extent. It's there's always gonna be something that would oh. I, I, like I love. I'm stealing that for my LARP, by the way. Next time I narrated Baby Nosferatu. all right sounds great Uh, what else though give us another one 
Uh, the other one is the corpse that is afraid to rot because it was such a beautiful woman that she knew her only flaw was that she did not want to be in any way, shape, or form changed. She didn't want to get pregnant. She did not want to carry a child. She didn't want to lay with a man either because she did not want in any way, shape, or form her form to be disfigured. Um, and so what she ended up doing was that she would marry sickly old men, murder them, just to give herself enough time not to do anything. And when the time came where she felt um, that she might die, she just said no. She literally said no to death um, and got back up. And the important part of the story is now that she knew that she was immortal and nothing could touch her, she then indulged in everything she couldn't when she was mortal because now she knew that nothing would ever mar her. And so her lusts, her her gluttony for life had taken over and this was uh, the birth of a deva. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing how they word it too. And I you know I won't do it here, but uh, it's it's a good generalization of, of, of that. But I like the fact that she lived to be old, but beautiful still. This is before mm-hmm. she became what she was, right? This is described as almost this was corrupting her. It became her obsession. And she gave the impression to everybody that that first elderly guy who was super rich, um, she allowed them to, to think that she was in love with them. And that's what she displayed to everyone until they died. And everyone assumed she was too brokenhearted to marry again. And she just lived off that wealth until she got old. And then when she was old and died, death wouldn't take her. And it's because she didn't want to, you know, that fear. And then when she comes back, it's not just that she was beautiful and that was it. She had to indulge then. Because once she knew, oh, I'm immortal now. I'll never age. She starts sleeping with every guy that she could seduce and every woman that she could seduce mm-hmm. and every kink or thing out there that anyone can do with the human body, no matter what it was that would bring pleasure. She's all about it and doing it to grand excess, flying to houses with a speed none can match, you know, diving into mortal lovers and ripping apart their muscle and sinew with the strength and passion she had just to get that pleasure in. And heedless of it. Whether or not they died was pointless. It was to her pleasure alone. And that's what made the first Deva. Why I love including those in? Because that's what brings the terror to what this person is. These are unique entities. This is not mm-hmm. every time you're going to make someone and hit those pieces. Muy importante to understand that. Because it also is giving you a haunting warning. That if you're, you happen to be one of these, you may have a, you may see a little bit of yourself if you're playing Deva in that. Right, what David doesn't ascribe to some of those features, and that's on purpose, right? Yes. And um, two here, they also talk about Elizabeth Bathory, which I love because to me, I would pick up on that, and it's one of the things I thought of immediately yes. when I was reading this. And I said Bathory was known to do that, and she's very real, and this is a very terrifying person who did a lot of. She, she believed that bathing in the blood of of innocent young women would retain her youth, and didn't want male suitors around for her own purposes, although historians do believe it was because her preference, her sexual preference, um, or even just her orientation of who she envisioned herself as, for the purposes of the story, for what they're looking at, no. That you can use Bathory as a very real story to see how she would be a deva. Like, but can you imagine an entity existing? And I thought that was fun as hell. Imagine Bathory's still alive and she's still doing it. Right, she she's immortal now. That's great, but now she's feeding and maybe not so scary, because she doesn't have to kill. But why would she stop bathing in the blood? Was my thing. Mm-hmm. Why, I was about to would say she, that's why would she scary. not go farther if that's the case? If that's what she did she, while she was alive, she wouldn't scale back. She totally wouldn't scale back at that point. She'd ramp it up. She'd be like, "Well, if that worked, what next would work?" Right? What's the? She might even be immortal. Well, if this worked, what's the next thing? What's the next level of transcendence? If I try harder, 
maybe I reached the next level. I, I like how she would take the, what was it, the Matthew McConaughey approach? Those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers up. There's a, there's a lot in there. And we almost, I swear to you, we get money for saying that in a podcast. We say it so much. That quote. Uh, but, <coughs> excuse me. But to, uh, uh, to, to write the ship here, the, um, there's others in here, right? The other, uh, I won't say weaker, but just uh, to speed it along. You got the Will Afraid to Rot, or Will Afraid to Rest, which of course referring to Venture here. Um, and I wanted to just uh, kind of skip that because not because it's not interesting, you kind of get it. Right, it's somebody with control so absolute they have to be in charge and panic that they won't be it. A nation will fail that they can't let it go, and thus they come back. We're we're cool with that. We get it. Your venture hands off. Why? Because the maquette, the maquette are defined here in such a way that made them actually interesting to me. Now, if you know me, I don't find Malkavians that interesting. I really don't. Old school. They're just there's not whatever. You're a vampire, you have aspects, it doesn't make you an oracle, it certainly doesn't make you special. And the derangement aspect is a cultural flavor uh, to define that clan, and it shouldn't be the only reason to play them, in my opinion. And often it is, that's them. When it comes to Maquette, though, there's Egyptian history and stuff like that to def- redefine them and make them interesting there. But I still wasn't seeing it, I still wasn't on board with it. But I had never sat back and really thought about a different Maquette. Like, I think even in my brain, I was still letting my own prejudices towards the Malkave, and I do mean that prejudice. Um, and also a bit of hypocrisy. Some of the best characters I've made and played in NPC villains were Malkavians. I want to add that. And I actually, I don't like that. And it actually bothers me that it's that way. Uh, but I, I do enjoy them in that role. Back to this maquette. The soul of Frit of Judgment is kind of my bag there for the, uh, the maquette it mentions in here. It's because what we have here is a, um, it's a woman who is terrified of sin. Mm-hmm. And I love that, that in this era where she's at, it's an aspect of, well, it's it's kind of a, a bitter truth, you know, like, what did a woman have to worry about back then? And I never really, I'll admit this fully, ladies, I apologize, I was just never took the time to really think about it, afraid to fill your children, afraid to fill your mother, afraid to fill the expectations of your brothers, of living up to what your father wanted of you. And, you know, I never thought a dad would want anything of his daughter, but for her to be the queen and the jewel of his eye, because that's what I always heard my dad say, but I never thought about that there was an expectation there. You know, that you have to live up to. Or how about the church expectation? Because you got to be in the church back in these times. Or the expectation that other men have of you. And you got to live up to that expectation. And then you're a farmer's daughter. And you got to live up to that expectation. And all these expectations is fear, 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 fear of judgment. What if you're failing any single one of them? And what if it gets out that you're not perfect? But did you ever think about what extent you would go to make sure nobody is ever in a position to judge you? that well i don't particularly care about that one but i know i know what you're talking about right that that approach what what secrets do i have and what links would i go to to keep those secrets now here's the truth and this is introspection and i adore that it's here exactly what it says about her as great as that sounds i'm referring to proverbial her let's put it in entity there's a woman who feels that right however it says in unquote she wasn't afraid of disappointing others so much as allowing them to discover her supposed crimes. Because then they would have the right to sit in judgment over her. And at its core, I feel that's like everybody. It Mm -hmm. is not that I don't want to eat the ice cream. It's that because I'm fatter than you, if I eat that ice cream, you're going to sit in judgment. Although it's Mm -hmm. not going to affect my health any. And I'm going to have the standard size because that's what I plan to do. And I want to have ice cream later without having to pay another eight bucks to get a pint. So no, I'm not going to eat it all. 
And so it's hot summer day. I'm going to enjoy it. Why do you get to sit in judgment of me? And then the better question, why do you have that fear that people are judging you for ice cream? What if they're looking at you because, damn, they would like some ice cream, right? Which is what goes through my head. I don't sit. That's a weird worry to me. However, this woman, oh my God, she sits in fear of that. But what she would do, what she would do is if you caught her eating an ice cream, she'd wait till you went to sleep and she'd sneak into your house and slit your throat while you were in bed. And then, oh, it's this a tragedy. Is, I I feel as though this woman grew up in the South, like even <laughs> just a couple of decades ago. I'll be honest, but no, yeah, to, to, I had to get that joke in. I couldn't. I could. It was hurting me physically to keep it in. Um, if you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you're lucky. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, her. This this takes the cake out of all five of them, and I don't. I don't have a clan in in Requiem. I'm gonna clarify that that i don't like i like all the clans and i don't have a, a favorite over them maquette will sometimes start lagging behind but then i'll find some gem that like puts them right back in the running again and this is it the maquette are not like the the savage monsters they're not the creatures of fear they're not the controlling ones they're the ones that gather secrets but most importantly harbor them and keep other people from finding them that is the biggest thing about the maquette knowledge seekers and very cutthroat. What I what I like about this is that even as cutthroat as they are, this highlights a very self perspective. That it's not this doesn't have to do with any clan structure. There's no out. There's no excuse. I love that. I love mm-hmm. the shit out of that. I love it when somebody mm-hmm. looks at me and says, "Yeah, I was terrified, and it's my own cowardice that led to me doing this, and I'm working on it." I respect the fuck out of a person who can meet me eye to eye and say that, and that's my friend. Who says mm-hmm. that to me at that point forward? It is hard to admit your shortcoming because it takes a strength to do so. It's even greater to work on it and actively work on it. And I will support someone to the end that can do that. But when you're the type of smarmy prick that does this stuff to look like aces, like nothing's ever wrong and you're Joe Perfect and everything. And everyone knows you're hiding it, that there's somewhere you're a little off on and it's okay to admit it. But then they see you panic to cover it up. I feel pity is what I feel. Because that's a hell. I don't really dislike them as much as it is. I wish I could help them. I feel for this entry. I really do. I feel for this woman. As terrible as it is, right? It says that she doesn't want to make judgment over her. But if you find her punishments were deep. They were deep into the quick. No forgiveness if she was wrong. I get vindictive. Trust me, I get it. And it's it's very hard to do that. But the cure for vindictiveness is introspection. Mm -hmm. There is a reason you can't let something go. And you feel there should be vengeance or whatever but if you pump your brakes look at it through and see it folks you realize there's no need for it right there's something there and usually it's very little and so a lot of times not even there but if you can't let it go this serves as a warning because she goes on to feel so potentially judged and she can't find everybody that's potentially judging her that she slits her wrists and 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 looks to die except she can't die in public she can't die in her house they'll find her and then they'll yeah. judge her based on her wrists. So she yeah. wills herself to take off running as fast as she can to hide herself because nobody ever caught her at night. She was never caught doing what she did. And she was one of the best with a blade is the other thing, too. She said They said she could bleed a strong man without them knowing it in his sleep. Mm-hmm. Right? Such was her skill. And they said this was the first maquette because her fear of being caught as a suicide and being judged in the afterlife forced her to continue on. Ooh. 
Oh, man. I also loved the idea about this because the reason why she didn't die is because she was able to hide from death. The the aspect here, as cool as that is, it's taken from somewhere. I want to tell you this is wholly unique. And whether they realize it or not, it's not. It's a great derivative take for Vampire, though. This is what I want to point out. As a Vampire origin story, it's fantastic. If you look up what a Revenant is, and a Revenant is very minor, right? I always think a Revenant as being something... Uh, it's a vengeful spirit that gets back in its body mm-hmm. to fulfill a yep. purpose, and then it dies off, right? It dies off and rots. Real simple thing to mention over and done. However, this is the same thing, and it's way cooler. It's more <laughs> in-depth. It is. It's more in-depth. Yeah, it it's, it's not just a simple revenge story. It's yeah. like, no, this is, this is fear brought it to here. But when we think about this concept of fear in its many forms, every clan has a point. It, 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 it goes to the overall talking point. Do you need a clan at all to stand forth and say that, uh, well, I guess that you have you have to have an origin story as a clan, and this is asking that, do you really? Mm-hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I um, uh, To cut that out, I personally, I like the idea that the, the clans don't have the actual like origin story, that the, the things that... Um, it, what's more important is bloodlines, right? Every clan is really just a collection of bloodlines that are similar. Because these, these vampires that we talk about, you know, drinking blood, being burned by the sun, these are just like small <clears throat> things that bring vampires together. But every... I'm going to back up a little bit more. I think I said this in the first book we did, we reviewed for Requiem. Every time you make a vampire, you make a bloodline. Every single time you build one up, because as your vampire progresses, as it gets to that point, your vitae will become so strong that it can overwrite those or help shape your progeny, Right. So all these clans, they don't come from one progenitor. They're just similar bloodlines. They're, they have similarities in personality. That's why every one of these clans are so broad, right? Ventru are, are the closest thing I can think of in my mind that would be more uniform, but even then, they're not at all. They're, as we've gone through every bloodline, every Ventru bloodline we've talked about has been distinct, and that's true of every Ventru in the clan. So as we go through, as we talk about these embrace, embraced by fear... I like this because it it shows that it can just come from that person, uh, something deep within that person that's driving them to the point that even when they die, they stand back up to continue. Uh, to add to that, I, it, I, I almost feel like it's a misnomer to say embraced by fear because it should really be like saved by selfishness. Sounds a lot more like it because it's it's their own selfishness. It's their own thing. And that's what, once again, you have to drive home that your vampire is not a good person, right? Mm-hmm. This, Objectively speaking, as, as we're writing it once again in context, the vampire comes back up, not because it's a good guy, but because there's something wrong, right? There's an aberrant thing that brings them back, and it's that 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 selfishness that brings them back. It's, fear might be the, the easy way out, but it's something that kind of resonates to say they all had something they just wouldn't let go to, and they went with it. You're in um, sales, right, DJ? I'm sorry? You're in sales, right? You've got a knowledge of it? Yes, sir. Um, do you preach to the fear, or do you preach to the benefit? You peach to the fear. Right. And why? Because people don't want to miss out. Because that's how you get life insurance out. Exactly. Yeah. Now, in sales, what they're talking about is, is that you remember pain and negative things that happened to you a lot more acutely than you remember pleasure. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what this is talking about. So selfish as you want to be to keep something or want something or covet something, it's not going to have the power to bring you back. Fear would. Correct. Fear would. Because this is all where it originates to. And you're correct. It says it's selfish people, obviously. Selfish people is where this starts. 
But to mm-hmm. me, it's like a dangerous soft. Is that another way to put it? That would be correct. And I think uh, this story or this particular embrace is really, really, it, it's funny and it's interesting because reading this again, it made me recognize this actually has ties into Requiem Second Edition uh, because they do speak about revenants in the form of mm-hmm. vampires that got sired um, by sires who, who willed them but just let them go. And now you have these people that wake up going like, where am I? What's going on? And they have to get cold and or brought into the thing. Why it becomes relevant in this version is because the opening story is someone is taking down notes from Carthians and people are going like, yeah, we we don't know who our maker was and we just got back up and kept on walking at one point mm-hmm. or another. So that, that's why it becomes weird to the person who's chronicling all of this going like, I, I'd almost think it's stupid because what sire is going to leave someone behind, right? What sire didn't willfully bring someone along? So what ended right. up happening that this is a common thread amongst newer vampires, so to speak, in terms of them saying they just got back up because they just didn't want to die or they got back up because it's just all they've ever known. Um, so I thought this was really cheeky and awesome because this is where we see some of the origin stories of stuff that you see in Second Ed uh, Requiem. So this is very well placed. And now a note to this that makes it makes it cool is that without there being a, well, there is a first, right? There is a first yes. for this that does These happen. Yeah, the first, yep. um, the first beings that come out, and you're going to ask yourself, well, why wasn't there more? Right? It, well, how is it that, what is this, these unique five people that came about that did everything they could? And it's, I see Brentron rolling his eyes. It needs to be yeah. asked. It needs it to be asked. It does. You're right. I, um... I say that because we got to remember the the format this is in. This is not set down from on high from the author's perspective, right? Like DJ just mm-hmm. said, this is a Carthian researcher going around collecting stories and probably people networking. All of this, this this entire thing we're reading, this is the Requiem's version of Book of Nod, right? That yeah, yeah, in yeah, 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 yeah. Let me ball that up and throw it to yeah. the side, though. I'm here for the people who read in between the lines, and this is what this directly <laughs> says. What if I want to use this? How the hell am I going to use this? What if I want to use this to be actual? And I want to bring this into my campaign. Because this is cool. And I do believe it's yeah. something that could happen. Well, then how would this make sense? Right? Because I get make- what you said. But how would I do that? Like, how do I explain that story that these five were chosen? And if they're not Maquette, Nosferatu, and whatnot, then what happened to everybody else and why? Well... You're going to, every origin story, this story, these origin stories, quote unquote, are not the ones that were actually the first or the first ones we know about, the first ones we could trace back. Certainly, like we're talking about in terms of like stories being told and records being kept, how many people lived and died before like uh, the first like uh, uh, tale was told around a campfire, right? Or the first like tablet was scrolled down. Certainly, absolutely, there were vampires before then because I, I guarantee you all these stories had a very like European mindset setting, right? Well, uh, my dude, the hill, you're cl- the, the hill you're climbing is saying, well, come on, there were vampires before that were there. That's what I'm saying. Like that, yeah. that doesn't answer the question. That's you saying why there is a question. And we know why there's a question. Okay. What it's saying is, is is now if I wanted to write that variant, let's be of use here. And we want to say that these are the first. Is it just because we said so? How would I add something cool in it? And does this book give you any insight to that? And the answer you're not going to like, folks, is no. There is no insight as to why this occurs. None whatsoever other than it's a mythology. Mm-hmm. I'm going to state that. Now, if you need something to help you out, they do throw an optional twist to it. And that is, it's seven deadly sins. Added in this vein, it's very easy for you to sit back and go, well, all right, well, every clan represents a sin 
that maybe since the dawning of sins, there was always one person to fulfill this role and has this unique power. And they're able to make others of their own kind because they're drawn to others of their own kind. And then that makes sense, right? For the Deva, lust, it's an easy one. That mm-hmm. only the only the truly lustful, those who truly feel it deeply, are going to be drawn, are going to draw this Deva. And when they do, they're the ones that get brought in to bear that mark and thus that moniker. And you got to remember, all the clans are written in actual canon as being, no one knows if that's really their name. It's just a common one they throw out. Deva is the yeah. name of a goddess that's thrown out or Ishtar or whatever you want to look at. And it's just something they stuck with because it's cool. Carthians are not the name that, that that's not an actual name of a vampire, right? It's the name of a group that they're calling themselves that uh, in that vein. And anybody belongs to them are Carthians, but I like what they wrote in there, even though that's not a clan, uh, because you could see them easily as one, mm-hmm. right? It's easy to see a coven as a clan because it's a matter of organizational statement is why I bring that up. So if that's the case, then like you said, every, every person embraces a clan, but not so when you have to sit down and say hard and fast as STs, if it's seven deadly sins, lust is deva, whatever else, right? Greed is venture. Okay. Well, if you're going to go down that route, then you're going to follow another step. Well, there's seven. What happened to the other two? Right? And then you're back in this this era of trying to trying to figure it out. I'm pretty sure what happened to seven was seven, eight, nine, and then the others killed him because he did so, that. So get out of here, Tennessee. Just get right, out of here. <laughs> where's Mississippi? <laughs> Let's find him or her. And so, so the deal is here is that when you're looking at that level and you're going to go that deep, uh, the simplest solutions are often what you what you need to look at. And uh, the solution here is that you can create what the other two were, and they're just not defined, i.e. they're not mainstay. You could say one of the ones is clanless, right? Because they just choose to make it that, but they exude this trait. Or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, you can make any of them really see that. Like You could say Wrath isn't going to be like Gangrel or whatever. Wrath is going to sit as its own. And no, no one dint of vampire holds that save for one very angry person and they're not about to make anyone because they're a white running around snarling. You know, maybe it's Belial's brood, right? That that's that that represents wrath, and that's why they're out there. It's so strange and everything else, and powerful and creepy, and that's and that's them. I I I not digressing, but that's that's my point. Is that the cool thing about this is that you, everything we said here valid stuff. Take it in. No one's right or wrong. It's it's different ways for you to wax poetic on what this is and make it your own, and you need to. Because if you can embrace through an emotion such as fear, you can also embrace through an emotion such as love. Right? What if somebody loves something so much or someone so much that they come back from the dead uh, to preserve that? Now, your job is to paint what are the negatives for defying death? What do they have to do? They can only feed from people in love. They can only feed from loving families and innocent people. But what would that make you over time? What would happen to you? Right, because you're a creature, your curse is to feed on that which you are, and now you're wandering around doing that very thing. How many of them are you going to kill when you feed in frenzy? That's another cool ass concept, and that's something an individual should be brought to a storyteller, in my opinion, and see that done because that's more tragic. My God, the romanticism uh, to that alone, in that in a romantic gothic sense, is right there on par, and it's it's an easy throw in, and I, you know that's that's something anybody should be able to use and play. That's its point. They mention a clanless variant, which really. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but one of the things they highlight is that if you're going to go with their choice and that uh, the fear by embrace and all the ones being what they are, that their style of embrace is the abilities to find those people 
that emulate a part of them. They it only the embrace only works on those who seem to be like them. That's why I you know cheekily was throwing in seeds about you know I wonder if you would embrace just anybody. Didn't you always wonder why your sire made you and why people take forever to figure that out? That always cracked me up. The slow, if you want the slowest way for a player to get back to you as to why you know to play vampire, just ask them why'd your sire embrace you. Get that in, and we can get oh. started. You better tack a month on there, and, and I'm gonna, they're going to have to ask you for help, and they're right to, because they mm. don't really know. You know, They're going to go through a questionnaire and try to figure it out, but they're not vampires. And the easiest answer for you as a storyteller is to look at and see what traits they exude to look at what is it that would have embraced them and why. Do they serve a purpose? Is it an emotional thing? Whatever you're going to come up with, you need to know them as they need to know their sire. It's a good thing, right? And so this highlights that. It takes that and says, no. This has to be it. Because as Brentron said, it's a curse. And if it's a curse, he also said it's like a virus. You know, like to like in this instance and keep it that way. I think that's a brilliant way of doing it to highlight a curse. Otherwise, you know what it is? Random. Yep. It's like playing Russian roulette with no. <laughs> could you do it? Could <laughs> we'll that not be do cool? That one. Well, it could if it's an end of day scenario. Uh-huh. Right? Drive by, kills Timmy. He's gone. What was Timmy? He was just a librarian trying to make his way home from ucla and he wakes from the dead with a hunger for people who commit crime why because it's the latest marvel story <laughs> blade two timmy right whatever whatever you want to do you know that's what i'm saying that's that's all i got though but uh more or less that's what we have here this time they don't have a cool power instance as much as it is about them being attracted to the, to what it is that they would embrace mm-hmm. and kind of defining these moments and that's what this is about it's ways to get you to bring it in and ways to get you to think about it. We hope we did a decent enough job for you to think that through as well. Uh, anything you guys want to add? Um, no, I think that pretty much covers it on my end. I think just to reinforce, as we were mentioning with the, the Mithraic cult, is all of these mythologies that are brought in are not, uh, not only are they not absolute, but they also can't be disproven. So even if those cults did exist, even if someone on the other end of the stick is going like, you know what? We are sons of the serpent and be like, yeah, well, you know what? Well, I woke up without a sire and I could tell you how my story went. And the fact that there's no reliable source in Requiem for an origin story for any clan makes it a plausible story for anyone else. And I think they're really good to insert into any story you want, regardless of how many you throw into the bucket. Because mm-hmm. no one can prove it or disprove it. I Which love it. It's true. They're all true. <laughs> Depends on how bad you harass your ST. Yeah. Uh, but- <laughs> yeah, I, I I won't lie to you. Every time someone asks me, like, I'm going to go into an origin story, I'm like, all right, let me type up five different plot threads, and I'll just pull one out of a hat. And I do that every time, right? So five people come up, they get five different answers. I'm kidding. I don't actually do that. Yeah, that's where I was like, I don't. <laughs> do you? It's just <laughs> Tennessee. Do that, right? Tennessee's doing it again. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for sh- thanks for listening. Uh, tune in next week where we start on mythology's blood gods. And uh, at that point, it should go by pretty quick because uh, the, the rest of the chapters have some interesting stuff in it, but I think we're going to generalize them mostly. We're looking at a smarter way to get us back to Werewolf and get us back in the rotation. Thanks, folks. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM, at our email, info at 25yearsvtm.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25yearsvtm or on our website, 
www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.